As John was sharing earlier, this is a great opportunity to be together as a church and just share with each other. It's too bad we scheduled uh, the, the high school camp on the same weekend, and uh, we're praying for them, but they would have been a joy to be in the service as well. As we're preparing this service, and one of the things we put in the elements of that is to have a time of sharing, and, and one of the things we thought about leading into that sharing was to ask everyone to share what they like best about the church, but we thought everyone would say the same thing. They like the pastor the best about this church, so we <laughs> said we have to change somehow. Did I say what you like least about the church? Well, uh, but hopefully, uh, as, uh, as we share together, you'll to recognize this is, this is God's church, and uh, we are in this together to be what God wants us to be, and, and hopefully, as uh, we share today, this morning, that you'll have a clear focus of what we're, what we're trying to do. Uh, what is it that God wants to do at Grace Hills Church? And, and we entitled the message this morning, Living in the Now and, and, looking, and, living, and looking to the Future. Uh, because we can rejoice in the past, but God wants us to live right now, but be prepared for what he wants to do through us in the future. As you think about people launching ahead, one of the things that people will often do in institutional organizations is they will prepare a, a vision statement. And this message this morning is brought to you by the letter P. We're going to look at our personal vision. We're going to be looking at our purpose, our plan, and our process. Uh, but as you think about that, a, a vision statement is to rally the troops. And we really don't use a vision statement per se as much in our uh, leaving out God's plan for our life. But we do focus on the purpose. But I thought we'd throw out a, a vision statement this morning that would kind of describe what we're all about. But before we do that, I want to kind of define how some people look at a vision statement. A vision, it, it's something you want to become to achieve it's an image of an ideal future. Now, mission and purpose statement is really the soul of the organization or the marching orders of the organization, and that's really what we try to focus more upon. What are the marching orders of Christ for this church? And we'll see that again as we look at the purpose statement. But, but the vision statement is to sometimes rally people to, again, what is, what is it you're trying to achieve? What is the image of the ideal future? And I thought I'd share with you a few image or vision statements of a variety of organizations. Uh, for instance, Apple. Uh, there was a very simple vision statement, a computer in the hands of, every, a, of everyday people. A computer in, in everybody's hands of everyday people. And, and then you have the vision statement of Stanford. Stanford was put together in the 1940s, and that's where Meredith is getting her law degree there. And, and as they were established in the 1940s, their vision statement was, become the Harvard of the West. And so that was, that was their big idea, is to become an Ivy League school here on the, the, the West Coast. Uh, but then you have a variety of other statements that are, are kind of interesting. If uh, you've joined the computer crowd at all, Wikipedia, Wikipedia, this is their vision statement. Imagine a world in which every single person is given free access to the sum of all human knowledge. Now, that's a mouthful. Now, if we were to spiritualize that for the church, you could put it this way for a vision statement for the church, kind of borrowing from Wikipedia. Imagine a world in which every single person is given free access to the sum of all knowledge about Jesus Christ. What a much grander vision than just knowledge, but knowledge about the most important person in this world. And then you have another one that I thought was interesting. You have the the vision statement of Walmart. Walmart is to help people save money so they can live better. 
Now, if you were to spiritualize that, you could put it this way. To help people get saved so they can live forever. <laughs> now, that's a lot better focus as far as what you want to do. Uh, but then there were a couple other ones that really kind of struck me as far as uh, their, their passion to describe what they were going to be all about. And Honda, in the 1970s, as that really came on the scene, uh, they had a vision statement. But what I want to do is give you the current one, but then I want to give you the first one. Honda now is kind of simple. It's to be a company that our shareholders, customers, and society want. So they want to uh, uh, just do well in their business. But when they started, they were kind of a step behind a particular other institution in that particular field. And here was their four, one, two, three, four-word vision statement. Honda, 1970. We will destroy Yamaha. That was their vision statement. Now, for those of you who like uh, the athletic area... Uh, Nike came on the scene in the 1960s, and they now uh, have a very simple vision statement, which is to be the number one athletic company in the world. But when they came on the scene in the 1960s, there was a two-word vision statement. It was crush Adidas. <laughs> so I thought we would come up with something like that, and it would be shut the door to Saddleback Church. No, <laughs> no. You know, you know, what are we really trying to do? Let's, let's go after, all right. You know, obviously, we are not in competition with other churches, and you can fill in your blank with whatever favorite church somebody else has, all right. Is, uh, we're here to really, obviously, uh, be what God wants us to be. And, and so I just played around with a vision statements. I don't know if we're going to really try to make it to memorize, but I'm going to give, I gave you the long version, but I'm going to give you the short version to begin with. Uh, our vision of a, as a church to be a multi-generational, multi-ethnic, Christ-centered church of irresistible influence. And when you think about that, that's what we want to be. It's not about our own likes and dislikes. It's not about what music we kind of lean toward or not. We're here as God's family. We're multi-generational. And it's not for us all to look alike either. We should be multi-ethnic. But as we think about that, we want to be multi-generational and multi-ethnic, but we want to keep the first things first. We want to be Christ-centered, a Christ-centered church. But it's for the purpose of making an impact in our world. And so we want to be a Christ-centered church of irresistible influence. And really, when we think about leadership, leadership is really all about kind of drawing people to do what needs to be done. And for them to experience what they need to experience, to have what they need to have. And and so we want to influence people. And and we want to project a message of irresistible influence so that when they see who Jesus is, they they don't want to crawl to him, they want to run to him. And and when you read through the Gospels, that's what you see people of need. When they had need, they they were just kind of, you know, walking as slow as Sean was to the back of the room there with the microphone. And they were running to Jesus because they had tried everything else, and only he had the the hope for life. So however we describe it, we want to be a church that's multi-generational, we want to be multi-ethnic, we want to be Christ-centered, and we want to make an influence, an irresistible influence in our world. Now, the longer version of that, because this was given to you by the letter I, uh, impacting our community by helping people at their point of need investing our lives in others, 
and inviting them to be fully devoted followers of Christ. When Jesus arrived, the church, when the, actually the, the, the word church was used the very first time in the Gospel of Matthew, he says, I will build your, my church. And so we don't build God's church, God builds it, but we, get an op- we have the opportunity to cooperate with him, be involved in that eternal, investi- that internal investment of that which matters most, which is drawing people into relationship with him. So what, what kind of church do we want to be in 2012 and whatever years God gives us at, at Grace Hills Church? We, we want to be a multi-generational, multi-ethnic, Christ-centered church of irresistible influence, impacting people's lives at the point of need, investing our lives in people, and inviting them to be fully devoted followers of Christ. Well, that's our... That's our personal vision. Well, how does that, how does that look? What are we involved in? Now, we, we saw that a little bit on the video this morning, but let me just throw out a few bullet expressions of that. One of the things that we do at, at, at Grace Hills Church is we plan special oikos events, and we're going to look at the word oikos in a, in a few moments. But this is an opportunity for us to, to invest in people's lives and invite them to, to hear and be around uh, Christians. And we just had one uh, just a few months, a few weeks ago, and we've been planning one uh, obviously around Easter, but after that we have some concerts coming up. But we want to plan places where people can, can just come and hear about Jesus. But not only do we want to attract people to hear about Jesus, we want to, to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. And so we offer care ministries, and we talked and heard about them this morning. But English is a second language classes. Yeah, we offer that for free here in our facility because when people come into our country and they can't speak the language, they are not just one step behind, they're many steps behind. And so in just caring ways, and some of them have had opportunity to be invited to our life groups and connect with other, other people that know the Lord. And we do it for the purpose because we care about them. We have some addiction classes on campus, and particularly a in a group for men that are struggling with something that Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount and having people recover from sexual addictions. And we do that because we want to know in our community this is a place where God cares. This past week I got a call from the person who kind of oversees that. He wants to film some commercials about that just to invite people who have needs to come. We heard about care leaders and in special ways where people will just attach to others who sometimes simply need a listening ear. Music ministry, where you have opportunity to speak into people's hearts. Age-graded programs, and that's with children and youth and adults, and they have their own oikos events as well. And as, as Brandon uh, is gone this weekend, we heard a little bit about their extreme. They're, they're now trying to not just invade the campuses and speak into the individual lives of the students, but he, they wanted to bring their families in and speak into their lives. Uh, one of the things that we've just kind of piggybacked on some things that uh, a family in our church has been involved in, uh, the Beersfords, they, they volunteer and they are uh, on a weekly basis going into an elementary school. And the elementary schools are open for people to come in there and after school have Bible clubs to speak into the lives of children. And right now, there are a number of schools, elementary schools as well as now it's open in middle, middle school class, uh, schools as well, where legally and practically we can go into those schools and after the school or before the school have an opportunity to present Jesus to students. 
And, and a great vision and goal at Grace Hills Church is we should make sure that every single elementary school, every single middle school has a Bible club on campus. And the only way, reason that won't happen is because people won't be willing to make it happen. If you have some free time, an hour or two during the week, you can be part of bringing Christ to people. Obviously, we want to draw people into Christ's church, but we want to go where people are to present Christ to people where they live. Just think about that. If we could just say every elementary school, every middle school had a Bible club on campus to invite students to hear about Jesus. We started a new ministry just recently, International Students. And I was at an event with, with Dan Mayer just recently, and he had his, his uh, friend from another country. And it's as simple as that, developing oikos around people who are coming to our country from another land. Uh, we have taken opportunity, and we're looking for new opportunities to go to various places on the mission field. But the mission field is coming to America. And we've had opportunities to, to partnership with International Students and Corporation, and we've shared a little bit about that. And they have a variety of things that they're doing with them. They're taking them to camps, and they have some weekly events that they invite people over to, their, uh, to Friday night houses to, to connect. But there are students right now that have signed up for the opportunity and privilege of meeting people on a relational level, on a consistent level, as friends. And some of them don't have friends to be connected to. And what a great vision and goal is that every student that comes to any of our local campuses, if they want to have a, a, a friend with someone that is involved in a church, that there will be no one left without a partner. And so as we look into the new year, the only reason that would not happen is that people who have time are not willing to invest that time in, in people that have come to this, this country for an education and what we want to give them is Jesus. So, and so as we look at special things in, in the mission project, we've had opportunity to Mexico, opportunity to go to Turkey, and as uh, we've had some new people coming into our, our fellowship at Grace Hills Church, we're now looking at the Philippines and going in next year. It's going to take a year to build that up, but we sent a team there to, to work with some Christian camps there and to do some street ministries and work with children because God has called his people to go. And we're going to talk about later on where we all need to go, but we have opportunities to go beyond that as well. So to be a church of irresistible influence, and we, we, as we've talked in the past, we can't hide that light under a bushel. And if we've got salt for this world, we can't leave it in the salt shaker. We've got to get it out. So what does God want to see in the future for Grace Hills Church? He wants us to be a church of irresistible influence because we see a world in need. Well, that, that's the personal vision of the church. What's, what's the purpose of the church? And we've heard that already this morning. But it's to honor God by helping more people become fully devoted followers of Christ. The great goal of all of us is to be worshipers. And we're going to talk about that again a little bit further on in the message. But God wants us to honor Him. And the best way we honor Him is by drawing people in to the kingdom of God. You could put it in a very simple phrase. God's people are to honor God by helping people. But what do we help, how do we help them the most? By helping them become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. We want to help people at their point of need, but we want them to see their real need. In fact, this next week in your life groups, you'll, you'll see Jesus doing that in John chapter 4. We have a lot of people that, that are really hurting out there, but where the blood is gushing out is where we need to go. And people are dying without Jesus Christ. 
We are a church that is called to honor God by helping more people become fully devoted followers of Christ. Jesus said very simply in the beginning of his, of his ministry, Matthew chapter 4, uh, he said, follow me and I'll make you what of men? Fishers of men. We've got to get the line out there in as many ways as possible. What's the plan for that to happen? How does that work? How does that work on a personal level? Let me give you a, a simple acronym on that. First of all, we need to pray for God's Spirit to fill and use us. That ought to be a daily happen. When you, when you get out of bed, that's the first thing you ought to be praying. God, you, I, I need you to fill and control and use me today. This is the day that you have made it. I don't know what adventure there's in it today, but if there's someone I can speak to, there's someone I can talk to, there's someone I can invest my life in, God, I want to be your hands and your feet. I want to be your mouthpiece. I want to draw people to yourself. God, use me, but use me by the power of your spirit. Which really gets to the second point. We need to ask and look always for opportunities to communicate our faith. It's interesting to me, as I look at the Apostle Paul, sometimes you look at the people in the Bible and you go, man, <laughs> there's no way I can be like them. I mean, I'm just not that type of personality, or I'm not a person who, who just is loud or, or, or just up front or whatever it might be. Well, you know, the Apostle Paul, who, who kind of got drugged into the kingdom of God by the Spirit of God, you know, in Colossians chapter 4, he, he asked for people to pray for him that he would have opportunity to speak the word of Christ to others. How many times as we share prayer requests, is that a prayer request that we ask? We should share all the needs that we have, physical and relational and family issues and things related to our jobs. But how many times do we ask others to pray for us? God, give me an opportunity to talk about Jesus this week. Paul did. And my picture of him is that that was just second nature to him, but he knew he needed the support of others to pray for him so that he would look for opportunities to talk about Christ. But as we think about that, God wants his church not only to be looking outward, but he wants that church to be healthy. And that's why we have life groups. And so if you're not in a life group now, we want you to be in a life group. And so hopefully that people around you are always asking, are you in a life group? Which life group are you in? Because that's, that's the passion that we have here. The, interesting, the passage in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, many of you are very familiar with that. It says, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And then it goes on, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, exhorting one another all the more as we see Jesus' day coming forth. Well, that passage is often used as it is as an advertisement for people to come to public worship like we're in today. But probably that passage was used even more specifically in the, the time of the writing of Hebrews to ask people to get in small groups. Because that's where you stimulate one another to, to love and good deeds. That's where you get involved in people's lives on a personal level. level. He says some are in that habit of not being in a place where they're face-to-face praying with each other and for each other and being accountable to get in God's Word, and, and looking outward to pray for the people in their relational world that don't know Christ. And then finally, every one of us need to be involved in some kind of ministry. What is it that God wants you to do? Then that can be inside the church, outside the church, 
but using your gifts and talents in such a way that, that you're, you are helping people around you. And when you help people around you, you create the platform by which you can talk to people. There are a number of people in a life group that the Tom and Carol Green uh, are in, and they, they helped them move yesterday. And it was interesting, the platform, just, just talking with it, you know, uh, uh, there was opportunities to talk with the people that were helping with the, the van there. And, and they were just so impressed that people would help. Why did that happen? Because people were using their gifts and times to help. And then opportunities to share comes from that. So, so what, what is it we need to remember about looking to the future as we review the past? is that we need to have a vision for what God wants His church to be. It's for all ages. <laughs> it's for all people. It needs to be centered on Christ, and we need to be a church that influences others. We need to have a clear purpose. What are we trying to do when we influence people? We're trying to honor God by helping them really follow the, the one who came for them, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the plan is pretty simple. Each of us need to pray for God's Spirit to fill us and use us. Each of us need to look for opportunities to share our faith. Each of us need to be involved, asking others to be part of living life together. We do life better together. And we need to use our gifts and talents for Him. But we really want to focus this morning, we're going to go pretty quickly with this, is what is our process here? How does this all look? And this is, this is at the level where all of us can be involved all the time. It doesn't matter how much energy we have and, and, and what our stage of life is, we can all be involved here. Well, it just reminds me, you know, as I, you know have you heard this before that, you know, that when, you know, when you're on TV or the camera adds 10 or 12, 15 pounds to you? I was looking at that picture today. I think it added 10 or 20 years to me. You're... Now, I kind of understand why they call, you know, the lead pastor in our church the senior pastor. Man, he's looking pretty senior up there. <laughs> Couldn't you touch that up a little bit, John and Paul? What, what, yeah, those wrinkles? Couldn't you have done something like that? You know, it doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. Whether you consider yourself young this morning or whether you consider yourself a little older. God has left you here for a purpose. And there are people in your life that you can influence in an irresistible way. But you've got to see yourself on mission. Now, we, we, we try to explain that very simply with another acronym. And it's the acronym of OWL. And this is God's process. This is God's program. And it begins with a, the word oikos. And oikos, it's the Greek word for extended household or relational world. And there are a variety of passages that I've listed here. And each one of them speak about someone going to his oikos someone going to his household, and, and, and just sharing what he's experienced or she's experienced. And each of us, very practically, need to think, who are the five to ten local people we want to see come to know Christ? Uh, you know, I, I pray for people that are out of state, but, but that's about all I can do is pray for them. I can call them on the phone, I can write them a letter. If I'm out in that area, I can visit them. But who is it God wants me to impact here? Who is my neighbor? Who, who is a person I kind of run into all the time at a, at a grocery store or a house does all the shopping, so I have to figure out another one. But, you know, who do I, who do, I do recreation with? Who, who do I connect with? Who are, who are the five to ten people that, that God has given me the responsibility to be the person who's concerned about them? 
And each one of us has been given an oikos. And whatever the number is, these are the people that we need to be praying regularly for and looking for opportunities to influence, to draw them to Christ. This is how it was done in the first century. This is how it was done with Jesus. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 and 10, I always think about it with Corrine here. Jesus, Jesus met up with Matthew. And he, he actually, Jesus extended himself. He said, follow me, Matthew. And then he said, I want to go to your household. And he went to his house, and then he presented the gospel message, and the whole air, all of his tax-collecting friends, which are the worst sinners in the world, right? Yeah, they, they all came to know the Lord. You know, Green really is, she's just, she's a missionary, but she just, she's just dressed as an as a IRS agent, you know? If you have problems, just go to her. No, I'm not. Uh, you know, whatever you do, whether you're a teacher, you know, whether you work in construction, whether you're in the computer world, whatever, you, you are a missionary to that world. You're going to know some people that no one else in this congregation knows. And God is the one who draws them to faith, but we are the ones to be his channel to see that everyone in this world has the free access to the sum of all knowledge about who? Jesus Christ. And we're going to be the only Bible that some people will ever read. And so we need to open the pages so that people can see. And we need to engage people in conversation to find out what they're thinking about spiritual things. And recognize that we don't have to know all the answers, but we need to know the one who is the answer. You had in, in, in Mark chapter 5, verse 19, a person who was filled with all kinds of addictions. He was, he was a demon-possessed man. And after God transformed his life, what do you think the natural response of this demon-possessed man was? I want to go with you everywhere, Jesus. Take me with you. And Jesus said, no, you don't get to come with me. You've got a grander mission in hand. You need to go back to your oikos and tell your friends what has happened in your life. Luke 19, you have another tax collector, Zacchaeus. And he came looking at Jesus from a tree and he responded to faith and he went back to his oikos and drew people to himself. In John chapter 4, verse 53, you have the, the nobleman from Capernaum came to Jesus and his only concern was about a son who was dying and asked for, for Jesus to come and to heal him. And Jesus healed him with a word. And when he got back to his, his homeland, to his oikos, he said, well, what time did, did my son get well? And it was the exact hour in which Jesus had pronounced him well. And his whole oikos came to faith. Why? Because they saw what had happened in someone they knew. That's the agenda wherever you go. As international students come to this country, the main, most effective way to reach them for Christ is to become their friend. Become, develop an oikos relationship with them. Now, only God will know whether that will work in just sowing the seeds or draw them to faith in that friendship, but it's, it's developing an oikos relationship. When people go to another country, that's what they do. They develop friends, people they, that they know and can be authentic with. And that's what God is calling us to be. When you, when you think about a, a church growing, all it takes is for each of us to bring one. And then that person to bring one. And that's God's call for each of us. We could go on and on and on. We heard, just jumping to Acts chapter 16, verse 14 and 15, I think it was Peggy said, said there's all kinds of ministries. If you, if you can do things with your hands, which there's, I can't do that, you know, crafts and all that kind of good stuff. You know, we have a group that makes crafts and then gives them away. 
Well, that's kind of what Lydia was in Acts chapter 16. She was a worker with purple, and, and she came to faith in Christ, and she went back to her household, and she, she led them all to Christ. Now, these are all the success stories, but this is how it happened. People took what they knew and shared it with people they knew, and then people come to, came to know the one who knew them, which is Jesus. And so as we think about what is Grace Sales all about, it's all about being committed to each one reaching out into their oikos. The, the people that we know. And, and when all of a sudden our list grows a little small, we say, God, who is it I can now look for to invest my life in and become their friend? But that secondly, we're also committed to worship. And so when we gather each Lord's Day here in corporate worship, it, it's, it's for a reason. And worship is more than just singing songs, but it is an opportunity for us to gather together to express honor to Him. In your outline this morning, I, I, I worked through some definitions. It is expressing and living lives that honor and glorify God. This requires joyfully giving highest praise to Christ as the church gathers and supreme value to Christ as the church scatters. It shows in our attitude and it shows in our actions. You know, really when you think about worship, in fact, sometimes we do this with a lot of words in the Bible. We kind of mystify them. We make them a little bit, you know, well, that's something you do at church, but you don't do that the rest of the week. You know, people worship all the time. Because what is worship? Worship is, is expressing value to something. If you go to a movie and you really like it, you go to your next friend and say, that was a great movie I saw last night. Now, what you did is you applied value to that experience in this dark room where they were throwing these images up on the screen. And you express value to that. And there's nothing wrong with that, but that's kind of worship because you've expressed value. You, you experienced something and you said, that was worthy of my time spent. And if you go to a movie you hate it, you tell everybody, don't go to that. That's a waste of time, waste of money. It has no value. When a person, and we, a number of us, my, my, a couple of my sons now, uh, are in a, in a group, and, and it was, there was a concert hall, and, and, and I'm just enjoying the music, but I'm watching the people, and they're going crazy, you know, with the music. What were they doing? They, at that point, they were worshiping the music. And what were they doing? They were expressing value to it. When, when people go to an athletic event, they go crazy. In fact, you call people who go to games and are, are, are really loyal to a particular... Uh, team, you call them fans, right? Now, what's, what's that short of? Fanatic. And there are some fanatics people. I mean, they, you know, freezing cold weather, they take off all their clothes, they paint their body, and they're, I mean, going, what in the world are they doing? They're expressing value. They want their team to win. That's worship. Well, what's the difference in between what we do and they do? And maybe you've experienced all those other things. We all have is that we, we understand there is a place for supreme value. And if I'm excited about some athletic team, and if I'm excited about music, or I'm excited about some movie, or I'm excited some other thing I do, that's great. But it should pale in comparison to our worship of God. And in case you think I'm overstating this, uh, turn to one passage, Luke, Luke chapter 14. Turn to that passage. Now, we can go to 12, right? Because, you know, the service started at 10. No, I'm, I'm going I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to stop pretty quick. Maybe. <laughs> 
Luke chapter 14. This, this kind of hits home to all of us who, who uh, have a breath this morning. Uh, Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Now great multitudes went with him, Jesus, and he turned and said to them, and how would you like this as a, as a theme for the sermon? If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life, also, he cannot be my, what? Disciple. And whoever does not hear, bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. God has instituted government, he's instituted the church, and he's instituted the family. And I'm speaking from one who loves his family deeply. But if my love for my family is higher than my love for God, then what did Jesus just say here? I cannot be his disciple. Now, Jesus instituted the family. And, and for, for husbands, Carl, are you listening? <laughs> yeah, we are to love Christ. We're to love our wives as Christ loves the church. It doesn't get any... The responsibility that's so heavy to love your wife as Christ loves the church. But Jesus also said this, that supreme value, the highest worship, the honoring and glorifying of the supreme being in this world who created us and died for us, must come first. So when we think about oikos, reaching out to a relational world, and when we talk about worship, and worship is to happen throughout the week, this is a high calling. There's a depth to that. I'm sure that was some Christian music right over there, wasn't it? (laughs) No. All music can be good, but some reflects the Lord. All right. Finally, life groups. Why do we put that in our three-legged stool here for the process? Because we recognize that just coming on a, on a one-week experience is not enough. It's about living a life that honors God. And so we push people as much as we can into life groups so that they're where you become more, more transparent and genuine. And say, God, I want to live this out. I want to practice what God preaches to me out of his word. So what's the point this morning? The point is that God wants his church to be what he intended it to be. There are going to be churches of all sizes and shapes and emphases. But this should be common to the church that God is filling with his spirit. We have a clear vision of what he wants it to look like. A church that is Christ-centered for all ages, for all peoples, that influences the lives of others. That the purpose never changes. We're to live to honor him. And we honor him by helping more people become followers of him. The plan becomes very personal. We ought to pray for his spirit to lead us and guide us and fill us and use us. We need to look always for opportunities to speak for him. 
We need to ask everyone to be involved in a group that will care for them and help them grow in Christ. And we need to look for ways that we can serve others with our gifts and talents. And the process is clear. Who is in my oikos? Am I committed to giving God supreme value in my life corporately and individually? Am I committed to doing life with others better together? I close with this. So what? Let's do it. I read a few things this past week. Michael Jordan said this, I can accept failure, everyone fails at something, but I cannot accept not trying. Will Rogers said this, if you're on the right track, you will get run over if you just sit there. Theodore Roosevelt put it this way, in any moment of decision, the best thing you can do is the right thing. The next best thing is the wrong thing. And the worst thing you can do is nothing. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your presence in the lives of those who embrace you by love and faith. And Father, I thank you for each one here. Father, I, I, I love this church. I love the people in the church. I, I love the, the word of God that we're committed to. And, and I love the, the mission you have given us the privilege to live out. As we close uh, this service with some praise of the God who makes this all happen, might you allow each of us to say, what part do you want me to play in this eternal program? What lives do you want me to touch in 2012? What ministries do you want me to be involved in? How do you want me to connect to people in a life group for their care and for their support. God, we want your church to be all you want it to be. And we praise in Christ's name. Amen.